Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. Welcome to Extra Point Taken. I'm Shiel Kapadia, as always, joined by Ben Solak after Monday Night Football, where I have no idea what I just watched. I have no idea what just happened in the last three and a half hours. Watch a little football, baby. Watch a little football. That's right. The scoreboard says Chargers 19, Broncos 16. I can't imagine either fan base is thrilled with the way that game played out, but we'll talk about it. If you are a new listener, the format's simple. We each offer three takes from the week that was, and then one of us ends it with an extra point. That'll be Benny Souls today. Ben, you're on the clock. You got Monday Night Football. W- lead us off. What yeah, was your take what from I was what you just up watched? For when I said I do Monday Night Football this week, <laughs> I okay. It's a hard game to have one take off of. So, in the spirit of the show, where we come with three takes. I have three mini takes off of okay. this game. Dealer's choice. Mini take number one: Us analytics defenders of whom you and I are like chief card carrying members need a new poster child because uh, yeah. Staley's just clock management for the chargers is, is increasingly falling down the wayside. He had the fourth and one uh, field goal attempt with like a gimpy kicker. They're playing for the, the kick at the end of the game, which I guess like he's hit enough in the thirties range. They feel okay with it, but, they still have to like get like a heroic Justin Herbert throw to even get in the thirties range. And like the camera cuts to Dustin Hopkins, like trying to warm up and he can like not even get off his foot. It's horrible. So number one, I, my defensive analytics as a decision-making model that can incorporate wind speed, by the way, uh, remains as fervent as ever. I just think we need a new poster child. That's take one, one, a one. Do B? I respond to the mini takes or do no, I no, no, wait? No, no. Till I'll give you three. Wait and for then all you the mini takes. Okay. One B. I, Melvin Gordon taking a page out of the Robbie Anderson book, perhaps a little bit. Let's let's cause a ruckus. Let's cause some issues. Let's be upset visibly on the sideline. Uh, Melvin Gordon is, I think, kind of we 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 know the at this point in kind of football discourse that once you're like not an elite back, you're kind of a replaceable level back. You can kind of cycle guys in and be good. And Melvin Gordon certainly squarely within that range. But I'm I struggle to believe that there's a back currently on the roster of the Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, or Philadelphia Eagles, which are the three teams that you'll find at the top of any Super Bowl odds. I don't know if there's a back on any of those three rosters that's emphatically better than Melvin Gordon. Like I think Miles Sanders, Devin Singletary, to, like to me, those guys are a tier below. I think, and, and Gordon has his, his limits as a pass catcher, but there's already good pass catching backs on those teams. What they need is an actual first down runner. And so Gordon out of Denver, if, if they're not going to play him, and they want to do this Latavius Murray, Mike Boone thing, more power to you. Uh, I think contenders should be lining up straight from Melvin Gordon. He's not like an elevator, but he's going to, I think, check a box for teams like the Chiefs, Bills, and Eagles who have had holes at the running back position. That's take 1B. Uh, take 1C. 
this tweet from the great uh, Shil Kapadia. He writes for The Ringer. He has a podcast. I don't know if you've heard of him. You should follow him. Whatever. Handsome guy. Yeah, handsome. Yeah, I yeah, would yeah. describe him as a handsome, bald Indian man is how I that's usually a, that's, that, describe those are the him. First, when I think of his journalistic skill, the first three adjectives that come to mind are handsome, bald Indian. Uh, Broncos offense, 29th in EPA per drive, 30th in success rate, 31st in points per game, 31st in points per drive. Uh, six weeks in, Russ offense temperature check-in. This is exactly what it looked like at the end of Seattle, man. They're running the ball constantly on early downs. You get to like a third and four, and he has to drop back for more than two seconds, and he's running around back there. The failed completion to KJ Hamler in overtime. He had the back out of the backfield right away for a first down, and then Greg Dulcich underneath right away for a first down. And he pats, and he dances, and he lets pressure come in, and then he attempts a double covered throw to KJ Hamler. And you're like, yep, I've seen this play before. So it's fully devolving now. Like The, the, the run heaviness is the final piece of the puzzle where it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're just kind of back to our, our Seattle blueprint. We're going to run the ball a lot. We're going to take deep shots when we can take our deep shots. And if Russ ever holds the ball for more than two and a half seconds, either something spectacular is going to happen, giant KJ Hamler throw, or something horrible is going to happen. KJ Hamler completion in overtime. So there are my three mini takes from uh, Monday Night Football dealer's choice. I don't even know uh, where to begin. Well, I'll, I'll just get the Staley thing out of the way. I'm with you. I feel like it's been that way. Uh, since really from week one to me, you know, he really last year was defending all his takes and I was defending him a lot. He's been all over the map this year. They haven't been consistent with their decision-making, you know, at this point, like I'm, I'm kind of wondering what is it exact? What's his differentiating factor as a head coach? I don't mm-hmm. think this defense is very good. I don't think his game management uh, is very good. I'm not sure what he, you know, hiring a staff. I'm sure that was something that was probably on your list, but you're probably like, we've already talked about this Chargers offense before. So I'm with you there. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know who the new uh, poster child would be, but that's something we can brainstorm maybe for another episode. Uh, to Melvin Gordon, that's an interesting one. I'm with you. He's not a He's not a difference-making back to me. Yeah, if you're looking for sort of a complementary depth type guy, uh, I think he's someone that those teams would look at. So I I was thinking the same thing as I watched him on the sideline there, uh, just kind of, you know, standing there with his arms crossed. He wasn't quite Robbie Anderson, right? He didn't get kicked. He didn't get kicked off, did he? No, but I'm saying if he (laughs) needs to pull a Robbie Anderson and then get traded to the Cardinals 24 hours later, maybe not the Cardinals, but like Gordon, I think even though the camera's not catching it the same way Robbie is, like there have been moments where you can tell he's visibly upset with what's going on. And I think that that's going to spur a change. It's worth noting that like Gordon's benching, from what I understand, we haven't really heard uh, comments post-game, but Gordon's benching throughout the season so far has been fumbling issues, which like certainly you don't want to bring to your team. But fumbling is really just like a luck thing. Fumbling is kind of like a chaos thing. In terms of like quality of running, like he's getting what's blocked for him. He's breaking a tackle. Like he's not, he's not washed. He's, this is a quality player. Yeah, I, th- I think I think he's fine. I would agree uh, with you there. And the Broncos offense, man, you you read out the stats. I just looked up. Honestly, I've been just like last week. I was sort of hesitant, right? They play that horrible game against the Colts on Thursday night. Russ is just getting crushed from every angle. I mean, people mm-hmm. are just coming out. It was like people were waiting for it. And I was like, you know what? This is a five game sample. We have a 10 year history with this guy being able to lead efficient offenses. Like, are we sure that this isn't just 
Maybe it's an injury. Maybe it's getting used to a new system, new players, whatever, uh, that kind of thing. And so I was kind of like, I'm not going to go all in on you know, Russ stinks, this offense stinks. I'm going to wait a little bit. And then you watch the first quarter today. And, you know, when you're watching these games like we do w- with our jobs, sometimes you're like, oh, I had this take during the week and this is right. happening. And you start getting, okay, may, all right, maybe I, I get a lot wrong, but maybe I kind of got one right. He completes his first 10 passes and you're thinking, okay, maybe there's something to it. And that's it. I mean, that's it. The rest of the game, absolute Greg disaster. Rosenthal just tweeted they had negative 13 passing yards after halftime as a team. Like, and oh that's my like, gosh. that's probably it felt team like passing it. yards. So sack yardage gets calculated into that, but right. they were not completing passes that gained yardage. No, it was, I, I mean, zero. You, you said it. It's like when he was in Seattle and he felt pressure and his eyes would drop and he does like the thing you would teach no quarterback to ever do, but he made it work over and over again. And in this game, I just felt like he was dropping back. And I mean, you said two seconds. It honestly felt like one second, one and a half second. All mm-hmm. of a sudden he's scrambling around and it's like, what's going on here? And he doesn't have the athleticism. It's obvious. I mean, he's running around there. Uh, he made the one play in the first half, right right before halftime. And you thought, okay, uh, he's moving around a little bit. But for the most part, if that's consistently what you're doing, he just looks like he does not have the athleticism to do that. And to me, honestly, it's a little uh, it's a little puzzling to watch because I know that's his reputation. I covered the Seahawks in 2015 and 2016. And if you go back, and I know this is a long time ago now, but if you watch the second half of 2015, it felt like Russell Wilson had turned a corner. I mean, he was operating from the pocket. The teams were zero blitzing him, and he was just dropping dimes to Tyler Lockett to Doug Baldwin. And I keep thinking back to that, like that version of Russell Wilson is kind of the guy he needs to be now. And it doesn't feel like he has it inside of him. And you mentioned it. I mean, I was going nuts at them just running into the, you know, I don't know if it was inside zone or duo, just inside run, inside run, first and second down over and over well, that's and the thing over also again. Because Murray was just brought in, right? They're in the gun. Murray is like a yard and a half back, which is a, yeah. like a run tell. And they're basically just running zone because they can't run much else with them. And they have a lot in their menu. But they uh, they don't necessarily have it all like installed the way they wanted to with Murray. So yeah, they ran they ran zone and duo, but they're not going to run anything clever with him. He's only been in the building for eight days. Yeah, it's the old thing that like you know the great offenses they're trying to avoid third down. They're trying to pick up a first down on first and second down. The Broncos, it felt like their whole goal was like, hey, can we get to like a third and five, and then who knows, maybe we'll see what happened. Their running backs ran nineteen times for seventy five yards on first and second down today. That's 3.9 yards per carry. Honestly, that's like better than it felt like watching live. I guess he had the one 14 yard run there towards the end. So I don't have a solution. I mean, I don't know. He, he looks lost. Their offensive players look so frustrated. There was that shot of Jerry Judy going to the sideline and like joining Melvin Gordon there on the sideline. I don't know if you saw that one where it felt like he just needed yeah. someone to vent to, you know, you know, it's he like, was like he, Hey, you know how they force you to stay on the sidelines. I would love yeah. to get forced to stay on the sidelines right now. That's yes. so great for me if they just wouldn't let me out in the field. Yeah, if you ever like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. If you're at like a social outing, maybe it's like a work dinner or, a, you know, I don't know. It's a party and you don't really want to go. Then you're like, and you can tell someone who's like definitely not having a good time and you kind of go up. Yeah, I, I kind of think this sucks. Uh, also, that sort of felt like what Jerry Judy was doing there. So now I don't know. I don't know how you can feel worse about this team 
if you're a Broncos fan than you do right now. The defense, hey, they've got players, Patrick Sertan, Baller, go buy his buy his jersey for your kids. Put, you know, put all your stock into Patrick Sertan. He was amazing tonight. But in some of their other defensive players, honestly, uh, their defense played well tonight. Their defense has played well all season. But you just can't get over how lost that offense looks, especially compared to what your expectations were. Yeah, you... Uh the worst feeling you have as a Broncos fan is that you can't take the Russell Wilson contract and just give it to a Jiro Evero really quick. Because I tell you, yeah. Lee's watching, that young man's out the building next year. No chance he's, A, hitching his horse to this wagon, or hitching his wagon to this horse, excuse me, for another year if he can choose it. And secondly, uh, what he's doing with, like, you gotta remember, like, they didn't have Justin Simmons the first few weeks. Darby's down. Randy Gregory's down. Like, it ain't even pretty either. No Joe, yeah. Joe Alex Singleton's in there. And they're just trucking along. It's really awesome to see. Yeah, they played well, no doubt about it. All right, my first take. The Arizona Cardinals cannot run this back with Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, and Steve Kime ah, in 2023. I see you've read the piece I get to write that will be published on Friday. <laughs> is that right? Okay, well, let's... <laughs> that is I like when that happens. Let's talk it out here. I mean, listen, this has been a topic of conversation really since early in the offseason when we all saw what was happening with that organization. But the way it's played out, and I forgive you if you did not watch their game on Sunday... This game was a disaster. The Cardinals offense failed to score a touchdown against the Seattle Seahawks. They kicked the field goal on their first drive and they failed to produce any points on their next nine possessions. This was against a defense that was a complete mess through the first five weeks of the season, ranked 31st in EPA per drive. They couldn't do anything. I thought there was a stretch in the fourth quarter that really told the story of those three guys that I just mentioned, Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, and Steve Kime, the GM, all who, by the way, got extensions in the offseason. Third down, Kyler Murray throws a pass behind Zach Ertz. Listen, I would like, I, I see Kyler Murray's talent like everyone else. Kyler Murray has not played well. I mean, if you watch him, there are, there are plays every week where you look at him and you say, wow, that's unbelievable. There's not a lot of quarterbacks who can do that. If you watch every play, you go, man, he is leaving a lot of plays and a lot of points on the table. He misses a throw. They face a fourth and two. Guess what? Cliff Kingsbury isn't prepared for a play call. This happens Every single week, this team wastes timeouts like none other in the entire NFL. So he wastes a timeout, whatever. It's a high leverage situation. If you want to make sure you have the right call, I understand it. If you're doing it once in a while, it's fine. It frustrates me that they do it so often. And this is a close game where you need your timeouts, but whatever. They come back, back out onto the field. A receiver falls down. The offensive line gets beat and Murray gets sacked on fourth and two. And so now you're seeing some of the deficiencies in the roster, which Steve Kahn is responsible for. And this team has just been so disorganized the entire season, week in and week out, wasted timeouts, game management errors. Murray is not playing well. Uh, they trade a sixth and a seventh for Robbie Anderson today, which it's like, okay, that's fine. I don't really care. It's a sixth and a seventh. But did you honestly need to give, I don't even know that you had to give up even that much for Robbie Anderson, given what we saw on the sidelines there. Uh, he's going to replace Marquise Brown. That's really not going to change anything for the Arizona Cardinals. And so as an organization, I just look at it. Cliff Kingsbury is now 26, 28, and one as a head coach. This will be their fourth, this is their fourth season together. I don't like to call for people to get fired, but I was thinking back on that homework clause, which we all make fun of. And I yes, think one thing I, I, 
great clause, unbelievable content. Uh, please have more of those in your contracts going forward. Players, coaches, GMs, owners, anyone who is listening, agents, we really uh, appreciate those. But I would accept the, one- the homework clause <laughs> in my next contract with the Ringer exclusively for the bit. There you go. Uh, but the one thing I was thinking about uh, just today as, as I was getting ready for the pod is that that clause told us that Cliff Kingsbury doesn't understand what his job is and the organization doesn't understand what his job is. The job of the head coach is to connect with the players on the roster, maximize their potential of each and every one. Does Murray have to take responsibility? Yes, absolutely. But you reach him through human interaction, through this thing called coaching, not Mm -hmm. through a clause in his freaking contract. So this team just frustrates me to no end. Again, they all got extensions in the offseason, so it could get a little bit messy. But I just cannot see a scenario where you bring these three people back in 2023 and expect different results. That might sound crazy to say after week six, but I couldn't get that out of my head as I watched that game against the Seahawks. No, it's, it's, it's extremely important because your, your pillars of your team are quarterback, head coach, general manager, right? Just this, we're, this is what we build around. These are the three pillars of the team. And when the team starts playing poorly, You say, all right, like, you know, you three are responsible for turning this around. And then after some time, if they don't turn around, you say, okay, somebody's got to go. We have to make a change somewhere. This isn't working. We're not winning football games. You might feel like it's unfortunate. It sucks. There's a lot of other reasons why. But one of the three, you has to go. This is just how football works. We're going to make a change of head coach, make a change of general manager, make a change of quarterback. The Cardinals place themselves in a unique position by extending all three members of that triumvirate this past offseason which is basically a clear message. Like, like the only other teams you see do this are teams that win Super Bowls. And the yeah. Cardinals got ousted in the first round of the NFC playoffs. Badly. Disastrous second half of the season, yeah. Yes. You're saying, hey, not a single one of you, not a single one of you three is in jeopardy of being exposed as the weak pillar in our team building structure. Which, like, which makes the Cardinals' next step fascinating. Yeah. Because... Okay, like you're not winning because of, of, of uh, you know, you're not winning, but you have these three pillars. You've invested time in these three pillars. You've said with your money that these three pillars are the problem solvers. Okay, so you must need to make changes elsewhere, right? They also extended everybody else. They extended Jalen Thompson. They extended DJ Humphreys. They got multiple first round draft picks starting on the defensive line. They got JJ Watt in the building, traded for DeAndre Hopkins, traded for Marquise Brown, traded for Robbie Anderson. They, Zach Ertz. Every, yeah. Every dude that, yeah, they extended Zach Ertz. Every dude on the whole team is a guy that they went and acquired for this coaching staff by this front office with this quarterback at the helm. There is no like, oh, the, the, the line is left over from the last guy's tenure. No, they're all guys acquired by this triumvirate, this, this thing taken the Arizona Cardinals. So you can't even be like, oh, like if we were just better at the line and better at receiver and better at corner. No, those are all the guys no. that you knew you had when you yeah. made these extensions. <laughs> so now it goes back to, okay, you have to get rid of one of the three, even though you just extended them. It's it's legitimately fascinating yes. to consider what the Cardinals are going to do next because no team has ever painted themselves this clearly into a corner before. And the other thing is the politics of it and how NFL organizations work. I mean, you mentioned... One of the three, it feels sort of like a like a two verse one, you know, GM and coach uh, mm-hmm. or quarterback. And so if you look at it, you know, you would think the harder thing to find is the quarterback if you believe in the quarterback's talent. But then you look at it, the owner is the one who signs off on that clause clause 
in his contract. And the owner, the, the GM has the owner's ear. I mean, Steve Keim has survived several coaches in Arizona. We see this with some organization. So I don't know how it's going to play out. I just know that from what I've seen after six weeks and Hey, listen, maybe Deandre Hopkins will come back and they'll win some games. I don't think that they're going to win a lot of games, even though I do think he's a a difference maker for that offense. I think it's going to end with some major moves for them in the off season. All right. What do you have for your second take? Second take, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need a software update. Uh, they, the, uh, Biggest loss, or excuse me, the the largest favorite to lose a game this year is now officially the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who entered the game against the the Pittsburgh Steelers anywhere from a nine to ten point favorite, and subsequently lost uh, twenty to eighteen. I think it was that's uh, right. A team that was co-quarterbacked by Kenny Pickett and then Mr. Trubisky uh, beat the Tom Brady led Buccaneers, and there's a lot of reasons why the Bucks are like you know, not great, shaky, injury-wise been an issue. Obviously, like head coach Bruce Arians is retired and they kept kind of the same think tank. Todd Bowles steps up from defensive coordinator to head coach and Byron Leftwich is still the offensive coordinator. So you kind of think everything's still going to be hunky-dory, but it's not. The Bucs have struggled on offense. Again, riddled with injuries on, on the offensive front. But Bowles had a comment in the post game where he was kind of asked about uh, a general lane of ESPN asked about like how they took the Steelers seriously and kind of like what the, the, the culture is like and whatever. And Bowles gave the comment of, uh, we didn't take them lightly. Number one, number two, I think guys that are living off the Super Bowl are living in a fantasy land. You get your hands dirty and go to work with everybody else. You can work. We've been working hard and we got to work harder. No one's going to give us anything. Yada, yada, yada. Coach speaks, coach speaks, coach speak. But that idea of like, we are living off the Super Bowl or living in a fantasy land uh, is an interesting one because I don't, know who that's about exactly uh yeah. it i doesn't it doesn't feel like it can be about tom like I, I don't know brady to be a guy who kind of rests on his laurels uh defensively like it's not like levante david's just chilling like i don't like Jay, shaq barrett's still great like i don't know yeah. what to read into that but what i do know is that the buccaneers have a style of calling plays that is causing them issues particularly their run heaviness on early downs this from Paul Atwell uh, from uh, Pewter Report, which is the side that covers the Buccaneers. Uh, to this uh, point in the season, six weeks through, the Bucs are sixth in dropback per e- uh, drop EPA per play, and they are 32nd in rush EPA per play. The sixth best team in the league when they drop back to pass, 32nd team in the league, which is there's only 32 teams. That's the worst you can be when they hand the football off. Yet they are 20th in first down pass rate at 42%. So on first and tens, because it excludes like first and 20, which is obviously a little bit different. On first yeah. and tens, the Bucs hand the football off 58% of the time. They are the worst rush offense in the league. And they're doing this, having done this for the past few seasons. If you look at the Bucs' general neutral down pass rate, like are you throwing it like second and seven, like third and four, when you're like kind of like right on where you hope to be as an offense, they're generally pretty pass heavy. But on first and 10, since Byron left, which became the OC, and when Bruce Arians was the head coach, and now when Todd Bowles the head coach, they have ran the ball on first and 10 religiously. Previously in Tampa Bay, the margins were wide enough that we were all like, that's dumb, and then we moved forward because their defense was, was, was <laughs> killing dudes. The running game was actually working pretty well, right? Rob Gronkowski blocking in the building. You, know, you get Chris Godwin on the duo runs. They had Ali Marpet. They had Ryan Jensen. They had... Uh, 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 whoever the third one was, their interior guy's name, I can't recall right now, Kappa. Uh, Kappa, Alex yeah, Kappa, yeah. There yeah. We go. 
it, it, it was it was okay. They were running the ball well enough, and Brady was was excellent. The receivers were great, and everything was fine. The margins are a lot more narrow, right? Uh, you endured a head coaching change. Even if you keep the guys in the same building, there's going to be growing pains. Defense isn't as dominant as it was during the Super Bowl run. And now you have Luke Gedecki and, and Robert Hainsey's playing along the offensive line, not nearly the talent you previously did. Lenny doesn't look as rejuvenated as he did when you first got him. And teams are kind of keyed in on the way you like to run the football. It, it, Gronk's gone. You, you don't have the pieces you did. So th- you escaped with this. You probably sat there and thought to yourselves, man, our first and 10 runs do such a good job setting up our play action passes. That wasn't true. You convinced yourself it was true because you won a Super Bowl believing it. But you got to update your philosophy now with the new information, which is, man, all we do is run the ball on first downs. And whenever we run the ball on first downs, we're putting ourselves in horrendous situations offensively in the second half against the Steelers in a game that was like within reach the entire time for them. They had eight, uh, they had 10 first downs and ran it on eight of them and had a successful run on one of the eight. You're putting yourself in second, you're just essentially wasting a down every single offensive series, which because you're not as explosive throwing the football, you're not only seeing five or six first downs in a drive, you're seeing seven to eight first downs in a drive. Every time you do it, you're setting yourself up to see it again and make the same mistake again. It compounds. So the Buccaneers have health issues. They're going to get healthier. Defense is going to get better. I think Tampa's going to be okay. I like, you know, the South is kind of interesting. I think the Falcons are cool, but I think Tampa's going to be all right. With that said, let this moment of like weakness, let this moment of losing to the Steelers in very embarrassing fashion shine light on a fallacy, which is that this first and 10 running approach is excusable. It isn't. You are leaving a ton of meat on the bone when you do it. It's hurting your team. Yeah, watching that game and, and what you said is absolutely true. Yeah, if you look at first and second down, they're still uh, up there, but like you mentioned, on on first down, yes. uh, so run heavy. And I, I think the, maybe the other that's part of the point. And the other point is just how bad they are running the football in those situations. They're definitely what you brought up. I mean, they're way worse than they were last year. They're averaging three point three seven yards per carry on first and second down. That ranks thirty first in the NFL. It stood out. Clearly in that Steelers game, 21 runs for 62 yards on early downs versus the Steelers, 2.95 yards per carry. I mean, you're just wasting downs at that point, which is what it felt like as you were watching it. And and I'm watching that game going, you know what? Brady's still making some amazing throws. The arm still looks good. Okay. Godwin's back. Evans is there. They've still got Gage. Uh, the left guard, uh, Gedecky, is that a, Gedecky yeah. was having a real tough day. Donovan and it was Smith very frustrating because since the, yeah, the Bucks run menu was so simple. They run like two things. They kept on trying to run behind Gedecky. And every time the Steelers yeah. were like, hey, Cam Hayward, all world defensive tackle. Yeah. The only good player we have healthy right now because TJ Watts out and Mika Fitzpatrick's out. Yeah. Find the rookie, line up <laughs> opposite him, ruin his day. They did it for four quarters. And there was yeah. no update. There was no adjustment. Frustrating to watch. It's uh, it, it, to to Ringer uh, parlance. It's uh, the vibes are weird in Tampa. There's no doubt about it. Given Brady's offseason, given Brady coming back, given Bulls' Bulls' comments that you mentioned there, uh, it's all just very strange. And yet I still watch it. And I go, all right, December might roll around and we might say, oh man, Tampa got it together and they're right. playing well. That that would not shock me because I still think they have the pieces. You know, you know, if, if you wanted a really uh, spicy take for the show, what well, you could have gone with, this thought has crossed my mind uh, to, to break out one of these weeks. 
the Bucks really miss Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians got to be sitting there with a cocktail going, oh, everyone made fun of me, huh? Everyone made fun of me, said I wasn't doing anything, made fun of my man purse that I was wearing with my right. headset there and saying, I, I'm not a big reason. And oh, Tom wanted me out. Well, now look at it. Now what does that offense look like? So maybe maybe we'll save that for week uh, nine or 10 if they continue to How struggle. How dare you call the Darth Vader strap a man purse? That's oh, my favorite <laughs> piece of coach accoutrement <laughs> okay. wardrobe, you know, okay. uh, accessory that's ever existed just oh, every yeah. single week he would come out with a larger mic back just expanding over his chest he's becoming part android loved it from bruce arians that's what that's what todd bowles and byron left which need software Maybe. update in the physical mic pack gotta get those back on the sideline there you go all right my second take this is good because it kind of relates to that game week six belonged to the og coaches Okay, so too often when we talk about coaching, what do we always talk about? And I do it as much as anybody. I love doing it on the show. Game management, fourth down, clock management, all this stuff. I'm guilty of it. We focus on in-game decision-making, which I think is very important, which I think is fascinating because we can see it play out and we can have our own opinions. But there are so many other aspects to coaching that are way more important than that. And I looked at week six and I looked at what Pete Carroll was doing to Cliff Kingsbury. And I look at what Pete Carroll's done this season with Geno Smith, with two rookie offensive tackles, with two starting rookie cornerbacks. And I look at a team that's competitive every week, that's three and three. You can see the players improving. You can see the player development with a guy like their cornerback, Tariq Woolen. Uh, the offense, fourth in EPA per drive with Geno Smith. I mean, think about that with Geno Smith and two rookie tackles and you have a top five offense through the first six weeks of the season. So have I criticized Pete Carroll about the in-game stuff before? Yeah, absolutely. You go look in my archives and it's going to be in there. Uh, but look at what Pete Carroll's doing here as they turn the chapter as he's the oldest coach in the NFL. They're three and three and you just look at it. Are they maximizing the talent on the roster? Yes. Does the culture look strong? Yes. Does the player development look strong? Yes. Are they exceeding expectations? Yes. Are they winning games as underdogs? Yes. All those things. And so I wanted to give him credit. The other two coaches that stood out to me, Bill Belichick against the Browns. I mean, talk about putting yeah. players in position to succeed. That is the very core of coaching. Bailey freaking zappy, man. Play action. Seven for eight, 165 yards, just guys wide Offensive open. Offensive guru Matt Patricia, as we've been <laughs> saying on this show many times. Well, listen, that's the other thing. In, in August, September, it was like, is he really going to just hand the keys to Matt Patricia? Bill Belichick could be the best offensive coordinator in the NFL if he wanted to do that. So I, it, it was like, well, what's this control really going to look like? But you look at that, you look at what they do with Zappi, a rookie quarterback, the way he's played the last two weeks, specifically the way he played last weekend. They've had 10 rookies play at least 10 snaps in that game. Sunday. Again, you're you're getting young players. They're improving under your watch. They have a top five defense right now. I mean, the last two weeks, their defensive performances against the Lions and Browns have been outstanding. And so I think Bill Belichick's another guy stood out to me. Underdog at Cleveland. They win that game. And then the last one, Mike Tomlin. I mean, you said it. Biggest underdog win for a team all season. I didn't realize who was playing on defense for that football team on Sunday. Yeah. Holy cow. James no Minka Pierre, Fitzpatrick. Little oh Josh my Jackson. Gosh. No TJ Watt. No Minka Fitzpatrick. They're down 
four starting defensive backs against Tom freaking Brady. They lose their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, in the middle of the game. They got to bring in Trubisky, who was benched the previous week. They're getting contributions from guys like, you said it, James Pierre, uh, Arthur Millette, Malik Reed. Trey Norwood. These are the guys hey, playing. Malik Reed's a good little player. I he's a good player. He's a, Malik he, Reed this group. he's a Big good Malik player. Reed guy over here. He's not Minka Fitzpatrick. He's not uh, TJ Watt. You know, I was that that was actually a hard exercise to take notes on because I was like, oh, Miles Jack's having a good game. But Miles, you know, my people Devin know Miles Bush, Jack. Baby. So. Devin, Devin Bush, Bush decided Bush to play one good game. Holy smokes, what the yeah. frick has this Devin Bush been? Con- I Connor Hayward with the 45 yard uh, catch yeah. and run when they on used the, tempo. The, uh, yeah, the, uh, the Bucs were trying to call timeout. They thought they got yeah. it, so they all just stood up. And just, yep, <laughs> Connor Hayward, baby. That's how he scripted it. So, I mean, the Steelers coming off a blowout loss against the Bills. They looked like one of the worst teams in the league. It looked like this might be the season where they completely go in the tank. That win to me is Mike Tomlin. That win to me is built up over years in spring practices, in training camp practices, in meeting rooms, in the building in Pittsburgh, all of that leading to the culture that says, nope, this thing is not going to go down the tube so quickly. Yes, we can come out despite not having any of our best players and going up against Tom Brady and the Bucs, and we can win this game. So there are all these things that are hard to quantify with coaching culture player development is the whole greater than the sum of the parts, all these things that matter, relationships, leadership, uh, game planning. And I just think I'm probably speaking to myself. I should be looking in the mirror here. I should have a mirror. Uh, You have to weigh those things more so than you do watching a game on a Sunday and saying they botched the clock. Don't get me wrong. I'm still going to make fun of that. I'm still going to criticize them for that. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about those instances here, but that week six with those three coaches really served as a good reminder to myself about the big picture stuff that really matters more than kind of that little stuff. Yeah, I think the the paradigm I always go back to is, is there are things that are evident, right? There is a availability bias in how we evaluate coaches. Yes. I watch the, the Broncos play the Chargers. I see the Broncos take a timeout to get a third down play call in with 2.30 left. And I go, that's bad. It's a very bad time to waste a timeout. I know it is. I've watched enough football. I know how timeouts might be used. That was bad. That was a coaching error. And then on Tuesday, in the office at 4 p.m., Nate Hackett tells, you know, like, give some tough love to a sixth-round rookie who made a mistake on special teams. And he, that sixth-round rookie ends up working really hard, makes a great special teams play the next week. And I go, oh, go play by that guy. And at no point do I think about Nate Hackett at all because that coaching process wasn't evident to me. It wasn't available. So there's an availability heuristic, right? There's a, we're biased to the things we can see. And so for a lot of these culture coaches who it's like, okay, you aren't calling plays. You know, you're like, I don't see you on the headset and drop your schemes, this, that, and the other thing. And the same words that you say in press conferences are the words that other coaches say, because they just kind of copy and all coach speak is coach speak. Mike Tomlin, notwithstanding, because Mike Tomlin just says, Mike Tomlin, like, sometimes you got red paint, you paint the barn red. Like, I don't even know what that means, but I trust you, Mike Tomlin. But like, generally, like, it's just kind of like everything is the same. It, it's difficult to discern what these guys do well. And that's why whenever you, you know, every offseason, we'll do it this offseason. We'll do like, oh, rank your top 10 coaches. Tenure really matters, man. If you've been there for a long time and you have a, a sustained history of success, Carroll, Belichick, Tomlin, Reed, that just puts a hardball in, in Baltimore. That just puts you in a different tier. Because there's clearly things you're doing that I might not be able to measure, but the proof of the pudding's in the eating. You're winning a lot of games and your job's not in jeopardy. That means you're coaching well. Yeah, well said. I think I shared it on, uh, 
I think another show, but not on Extra Point Taken. My Tomlinism was I went to my daughter's like, uh, you know, go back to school night where you meet with the, you're in the teacher's classroom and her teacher was very nice saying, you know, I want every student here to be comfortable regardless of what's going on in my home. And I'm just thinking, I had just, you know, listened to Tomlin. I think it was after we had gotten back from our Steelers camp and I'm going, we do not see comfort. But I'm just saying that in my head, I'm like whispering it to my wife afterwards. She doesn't, she's like, shut up. What are you doing? Shut up. We're listening to the teacher. But uh, yeah, Tomlin's in my head. He's, he's a little bit different. All right. Number three, what do you got, Betty Souls? Uh, Cleveland Browns fans. Mm. Deshaun Watson is not going to save this season. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of narratives and through lines and arcs and trying to figure out what's going on in Cleveland. But lay of the land. Uh, Cleveland has lost games now to the Jets. You're like, okay, maybe the Jets are like a little better than we thought. The Falcons, okay, maybe the Falcons are like a little bit better than we thought. The Chargers, Chargers are good. 23 points to the Bailey Zappi-led Patriots. Are we officially now in the area where the Browns are losing games to bad teams? Uh, Right, they they had the win over the Steelers in prime time, and then a week one two-point win against the the Panthers, who we now know to be abysmal, uh, in the Baker Mayfield revenge game. So two and four with wins over the Panthers and the Steelers. Really concerning outlook. Even more worrisome is if you're telling me that the guy you, you're paying a massive contract to, your starting quarterback you went out and acquired, isn't playing yet, then I'm assuming the issue with your team is the offense. It isn't. No. Kobe Brissett's playing just fine. You're running the football well. David Njoku's become what you wanted him to become. Amari Cooper's not been great, but he's been pretty much what you acquired. You got yourself wide receiver one. This defense is really bad. <laughs> this defense yeah. is really Really bad. Right now, uh, rush EPA per play allowed. The Browns are last with a bullet, 0.162. There's not, there's like three passing games in the league that are more effective every down. Passing offenses than the rushing offense facing the Browns is effective. It's unbelievable. And the crazy thing is success rate, success, uh, success rate, they're pretty good. It's just when they give up runs, they give up massive, huge, explosive, explosive runs. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're 0.162. 30th. So they're 32nd. 30th is the Packers at 0.08. Half. Half of their number. Wow. This is a astoundingly, shockingly, unacceptably poor running defense. Uh, overall, defense-wise, they are se- uh, second worst by EPA per play, only to the Detroit Lions. By DVOA, they are second worst, only to the Detroit Lions. By points per play, they are second worst only to the Detroit Lions. So the congratulations to the Browns for avoiding 32nd because Detroit is somehow even worse. But this is a woeful, dreadful defense. There's a few reasons for that. And there's, there's you know, there's injuries. I understand that. Uh, no Miles Garrett for a game. No Jadavion Clowney for a couple of games. They've had issues in the secondary. I get it. I know. It's tough. Brought in Joe Woods, coordinated the defense. Spent time in San Francisco. Spent time with the Denver Broncos under Vance Joseph. We're going to run the quarter stuff. We're going to run the Brandon Staley stuff. Let's get Troy Hill in here, right? We're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to do the new thing. That requires specific players. We've now seen this defense for long enough. We've seen the issues with it. Joe Barry in Green Bay, seen the issues with it with Brandon Staley when he went to the Chargers, having left the Rams, that you can't run this unless you are very serious about your interior front. You cannot run this unless you are gobbling up space with highly talented dudes in the inside, right? The, the, the Eagles who have like Vic Fangio working with their defense. 
drafted Jordan Davis in the in top 15 with this theory in mind. Like we need a nose tackle, two for one in in the interior. So this off this defense, this philosophy, paired with a front office that is so analytically oriented that they are going to get penetration sack TFL players at the edge. They're going to get star corners because those are premier positions on defense. And then everywhere else, they're just going to go for height, weight, speed. They do not gel. This defensive interior is starting on a weekly basis. Jordan Elliott, third round pick out of Missouri, penetration player. Taven Bryan, first round bust, Florida to Jacksonville, three technique, penetration player. Perrion Winfrey, third round pick, Oklahoma, bowling ball frame, penetration player. And then Tommy Tungiai, fourth round pick out of Ohio State, who like is kind of the model that you need, but also was a fourth round pick as a second year player at Ohio State. Right. That's the entire defensive interior. There's not a single impact player there, not, not, notwithstanding the fact that they don't even have a nose. There's not even a guy that plays the role that you need to run this defense. It's just all penetration. So it doesn't jive with what Joe Woods needs. There's a disconnect there. And then the guys that they got to get this thing done, right? Oh, Jeremiah Usukorma, we bring him in. Uh, you know, okay, we drafted Greg Newsom, we extended Denzel Ward, you know, we have John Johnson. They don't tackle well. They, they, yes. are, we're, we're all That's small. What stood we're out all to speed. Me. We're all explosive. We're going to play zone. We're going to have eyes on guys. We're going to match dudes. They're all too small. Denzel Ward's a great corner. Greg Newsom's a really good corner too. Like they should be better than they are. The reason is they can't tackle because you, if, if you're going to put this many defensive backs on the field, teams are going to get big on you. Watch that Patriots film. Watch that Falcons film. It's a bloodbath. They're going to get big on you and they're going to tell you to play bro man football for 60 minutes. They're too small. Like, JOK's a good player. He's too small. They do not have the size to run this style of defense. They have over-analytics. They have, they have jumped the shark. Ooh, they're, interesting. They're, they're, but that, this, they, this is what it is when you, when you go analytics. It's, all right, highway speed, highway speed, highway speed. We don't invest in linebacker, right? We don't invest in, in interior defensive line. Those guys are run stoppers. The rundowns aren't valuable. We're going to be fast. We're going to be explosive. We're going to be able to blitz. We're going to defend the pass. Yeah. The, the Falcons are just bigger than you. The Patriots just, the Patriots just walked on the field and were larger than the Browns for four quarters. And then, yeah, Bailey Zappi goes eight for nine for 117 yards, two touchdowns on play action, because eventually at some point it's just free because you're so worried about the way you're getting big boyed up front. So the, uh, the Browns defense is a huge issue. This is the second worst defense in the league, but it's really bad, like numbers wise. It's, it's, it's dreadful. That's not going away. Nobody on the way, like Anthony Walker ain't coming back and solving this problem for everybody. It's not going to happen. So, Okay. Deshaun comes back after 11 weeks. The AFC North isn't winning that many games. Maybe you're still within range. He's not solving your, your, your problems. I, I was about to say, like, I, I wish he would, but I don't wish he would because I don't wish Deshaun would solve their problems. But he isn't. This defense is going to be an issue for you no matter who's playing quarterback if you're trying to make the playoffs. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I totally agree with the point. And it's been uncomfortable to talk about this team, really, at least for my, I'll just speak for myself personally to talk about what's going on uh, on the field, really, since the preseason to now. It just felt like, you know, you kind of get that feeling like, all right, do I really want to be breaking it down? But you're, it, it's gone unsaid, but honestly, Kevin Stefanski has done an outstanding job with that offense. I mean, if you would have told me this offense would have performed like this in the games without Deshaun Watson, they're third in EPA per drive behind the Chiefs and the Bills. I know Brissett had some big errors in big spots, high leverage situations, interceptions. He did not play well last week. But if you look at it on the whole through six weeks, it goes to your point because how much better 
can that is that offense yep. really going to get? You know, like that. Like, you're, are you, are they going to be better than the Bills or the Chiefs? And they're not going to change identity Watson? wise. They're not going to get no. Deshaun and start being sixty five percent pass. This team no. runs the football, so they're going right. to keep being which the same thing identity yeah. wise. Yeah, which they do a great great job uh, doing that. So you're right. I mean, there's not like like if they were at this same point, but the offense ranked twenty second, then you could say okay. Yeah, there's an easy path. He's going to come in. You're going to get an upgraded quarterback to survive till then, and you're going to be good. But that's not really been the case. The offense has been really, really freaking good. If you look at the first six games, the defense has not been good at all. The tackling thing really stood out to me watching that game against the Patriots when it got to uh, Johnson or Delpit or Emerson or whoever else was in the secondary. Like It was over. They, they had it. no chance. They were getting run over. And so it goes to that theoretical idea of... If if you are a defense and the other team, like I would always say against the Chiefs, you know, if Patrick Mahomes is handing the ball off and I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm in the booth clapping. And that's true to a degree, to an extent, until you have some of these games like you've had the last two weeks where you're just getting completely gashed. And oh, by the way, you're also not stopping the pass last week against Bailey Zappi. So I'm with you. I don't know what their fix is. You know, I, I was kind of bullish on their defense coming into the season. I think they were 11th in DVOA last year. And I figured, hey, you have Garrett and Clowney back. Even if Clowney's not going to play the whole season, you have two outstanding corners. I mean, really, if you just look at cover skills, Newsom and Ward are probably up there with any duo in the NFL. And I thought, okay, most teams aren't going to just match up and run the ball and push you around and take advantage of how you're soft uh, in the interior. The last two weeks, that's absolutely happened. And we'll see, uh, you know, they, they'll still have to, do they have the Ravens next week, I think? So, hey, that's a team that, yeah, they will gladly run the football on you. So uh, we'll see what yeah. happens there. And also their no, the schedule. By the yes. way, I think I was going to say the last note of this all is okay. Yeah, Rave uh, at Ravens, home Bengals, at Dolphins, at Bills, home Buccaneers, at Texans, at Bengals, home Ravens, Saints, Commanders, Steelers. Browns got to play some teams. <laughs> this this yeah. is not going to be. This is a long no. road to hoe for Cleveland. Yeah, that that that's going to be tough. Absolutely. All right, my last one. I feel like a jerk uh, for doing this one, but here's how I feel. The Jets are going to face the most interesting offseason quarterback decision in the NFL. The Jets, Jets fans, the Jets. Oh. Don't, don't, don't yell at me, Jets fans. I know you're saying, Shield, why are you doing this? We just won a game. We're feeling good about ourselves. We got some good vibes going. And now you're bringing up the offseason. We don't care about the offseason. We're entertained for the first time. But as I'm watching that game against the Packers last week, I thought, got some nice pieces on this roster. I love Sauce Gardner. My gosh, he looks good. Uh, their cornerbacks look good. DJ Reed looks good. Their defense, yeah. Quinn and Williams. Oh my gosh. Sheldon Lawson. Rankins. John Franklin Myers. Sheldon Lawson. Rankins. They got guys making plays up and down the defensive line. This was the vision. You know, when I did my rank, ranking all the defenses in August, I thought this Jets team, they're deep up front. If Gardner's good right away, this can be an interesting defense. It didn't happen right away, but it looks like it's happening now. They were outstanding. They pushed around the Packers for that entire game up front on Sunday with that win. So I like that. Offensively, I'm looking at it going, they got some pieces. They got some wide receivers, Corey Davis. Uh, they've got Elijah Moore. They've got Garrett Wilson. They've got some pieces on the offensive line. Brees Hall with an, with an outstanding game and an outstanding run. Brees I think looks awesome. That Brees play was so yeah. good. Yeah, he he looked great. One. And 
Mike LaFleur, honestly, I thought the last two years, like, I'm like, is this one of the most underrated offensive coordinators in the NFL? Because I feel like he's working around a lot of problems and I watch them sometimes and I go, hey, he's creative. He's putting players in position to succeed. I mean, that game on Sunday, the end around to Berrios, the, the trap. To Brees Hall was that like a wing T? Was that like that was a wing T play that the Eagles did to Aguilar I in the think, uh, playoffs? I, it looked like that. I, I've only seen it live. I hadn't watched the twenty two. Okay. I think it's All supposed right. to be a reverse, and it gets broken, and Brees just turns up field. Like, okay. I, like to me, it looks totally messed up. And then Brees is like, "All right, I'm just going to go get whatever I can get." And then he turns up field. He's yeah. like, "Oh, there's nobody here." And so, like, yeah, that's yeah. great. But like on a snap to snap basis, he's he's running the ball exactly the way you want him to run it, and he's explosive. When he gets to the second level, he makes guys miss. Brees looks really yes. good. So I, I like I like a lot of the players around the quarterback. I like the play calling. I you know they had a double move to Corey Davis that Wilson underthrew. It gained like forty two yards. It easily could have been a touchdown. And then I just can't get there with Zach Wilson. Now it's been three games. Listen, it's been three games this season. Maybe he'll improve. If you're a Jets fan and you're still bullish on the guy, there's a there's a scenario where December rolls mm-hmm. around. He's getting it. He's improving. And this is looking like a very stupid take, but that's why we do these every week because we want to know what how are we feeling in the moment. And I'm just looking at it going. If the rest of the season, if they're a frisky team, you know, if they're competitive, if they've got a lot of things you like about them, but you don't love the quarterback and the quarterback doesn't play well and he's healthy the rest of the season, what are you going to do in the offseason? Are you just going to run it back with him, knowing kind of the pressure that maybe the front office and the coaching staff could be feeling, knowing some of the positive pieces you have uh, around the quarterback offensively, defensively with the coaching staff? And so... I feel like they are going to end up being a very interesting team by the time January or February rolls around, where it's a team we're not thinking about now as a team that could Mm -hmm. be in the market for a quarterback, but a team that could say, you know what, Uh, I know maybe the the smart move is to stay patient and and give them another year, but we like our roster right now, and we're going to kind of pull the trigger and make a move. The thing for me is... Like I, I've since the BYU days, I've been like, I'm not really it on Zach Wilson. I was like, I like Justin Fields more. And maybe I'm a total idiot for that. Cause like fields in Chicago is a mess, but I never like fully got it with Zach Wilson. You were relying a lot on peak plays, right? You were relying on like arm talent and like this one throw against Western Kentucky and kind of whatever, whatever, whatever. If that sort of a player is going to develop into a really quality starter, the typical example that everybody uses is Josh Allen, Josh right? Allen, Allen had okay. such incredible peak plays and whatever, right? You're not going to get that out of Zach because he's just not that big, right? He's never going to be that 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 much. His arm is good. It's not that good. He's not going to be that good of a runner. Like you just, you're not going to get that return. However, if you are going to get return on a player who's built on peak plays, he needs what Josh Allen got, which is time. And if you can cheese your way with two running backs and wide receiver versus Braxton Berrios and this, that, and the other thing, cheese your way to a good offensive season, you get the cover to say, yeah, we're bringing Zach back next year. We were, he was good. He's still developing. You know, we, we like what we're seeing with him. He's in the building every single day. We like our weapons. We're really good. And that gives you a time to let him keep playing, which if Zach's going to end up good, it's going to be because he got to play a lot. It's going to be because he got in a good environment with a good offensive coordinator with, with, with all the positives the Jets have going. He got opportunities to develop. And the Jets have that, that groundwork laid. All they have to do is win games, be good on defense, get enough cover to, you know, coaching staff's here for another year and we keep this train running. The other thing is that Zach can stay healthy. Because Zach got missed time last year. He's missed time this year. He's a thinner dude. So keep Zach upright, stay healthy, continue to be fine on offense. As long as Zach's not shooting you in the foot, you get another year to bring him around. And that to me is if Zach Wilson's going to end up good, he needs that year. So I think if they're good on offense, they'll keep him. 
because they know that that development time is necessary for a player like this to become quality. It's a good point on the peak plays. I honestly don't see the peak plays right. yet, but that is, you're and right. This is that the that's, piece, this, I wrote about Wilson last year. It was after the Saints game. The Jets fans were irate with me. The, you draft him for the peaks and you weren't getting the peaks. Like his arm wasn't making the throws, everything like that. Right. His first game back, week four. So who are they playing? Dolphins? No, it was week five. Whoever they were playing okay. week four, there were some throws where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm there. I, I, this, this is what we drafted. This game against the Packers, it was just all short stuff, which I think is a little yeah. bit like how the Packers play defense. I think that you've seen some peak stuff so far this season. Okay. All right. Well, we, so I think that's a good point though. What to watch. Don't just look at the final numbers. Do you see those flashes every week that get you uh, excited? All right, Ben, close us out with yep. the ex, right? The extra point taken and the show name. Yes. Uh, extra point for this week. Uh, we have this discussion. I feel like every few years we're going to have it again. Uh, parody in the NFL isn't fun. I just have official. I just don't. I go back and forth on it. I convince myself that I like it sometimes. And then like wacky stuff happens and it's good. And certainly like if I were not a analyst whose job is to try to explain what's going on and then predict what's going to happen, uh, I would probably like parody more, but parody makes my job difficult because I'm like, yeah, the, the team with the fourth round rookie from Western Kentucky is not going to be good at throwing the football. And then they are. And it's like, okay, well that's, annoying so parody is tough for that reason and then also i bet on the nfl right i do gambling content and i bet and parody is tough for betters because we like it when the good teams are clearly good and the bad teams are clearly bad because then you can figure out who's going to win and then you can make money on it so if i you know i there are regular consumers who like parody and like the chaos of it i don't fall into that bucket and so for me like i don't enjoy parody what i do like about parody is this we've talked about this before. We talk about it with like the Kyle Shanahan system specifically, and it gets covered in different ways, but the NFL has just simply never, ever, ever been better at raising the floor of quarterback play, at least not in my memory of the last, you know, kind of 20 years of football where you had that period in the post Manning, post breeze, post Brady era, where everybody and their mama was trying to get themselves a, you know, pocket passing, read the field, dice it up, West Coast offense quarterback. And we realized, okay, those guys don't grow on trees. And then you had the swing to athleticism, right? And you had your, your sort of like your, your, you know, RG3s get selected and whatever, but then you have your, you know, 2017 draft and you have Josh Allen and you have Lamar Jackson you, and you, you have this move to more uh, physical quarterbacks who are able to do stuff with their legs, Marcus Mariota and Carson Wentz and you know, this, this whole series, series of quarterbacks. In that process, we found out with more mobile quarterbacks and with the development of the Shanahan system, that there's a lot of ways to win football games with mediocre quarterbacks. You look at what Atlanta's doing right now with Marcus Mariota attempting six passes, like half, yeah. you know what I'm saying, right? And he's not even like that good of a runner. You look at what the Giants are doing with Daniel Jones and just kind of using him as like, hey, you're kind of like a tight end. Do you want to run around a lot? That's pretty cool. You look at what the Jets were able to do with Zach Wilson, right? You look at the way that like even the 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 Panthers horrible terrible disgusting offense with PJ Walker kept it close with the Rams for three quarters like we've never been better at raising the floor of quarterback play bad quarterbacks can go on the field and they can put up 38 points against the Cleveland Browns defense with Matt Patricia as their offensive coordinator because we've just figured out how to work around these guys that's awesome for the league writ large because it means a lot more quarterbacks get the opportunity to develop a lot more younger quarterbacks get time in the league it's just good for quarterback and good for offense period even if it makes it inconvenient for Ben to figure out who the good teams are, talk about them, and make money off of them. And it relates to the off-season point that I always make, which is 
do not pay up for competent quarterback play. You only pay up if you see the ceiling because competent quarterback play, like you said, has never been easier to achieve. If you have a coach whose team stinks and you say, oh, it's just the personnel. Well, is he at least trying stuff? I think that speaks to what you're saying with the Falcons and Giants. You know what? We all see the personnel limitations. Is the coach going to try stuff to put that player in a position to succeed or are they just going to throw him out there? I mean, look at the Giants last year. You know, they weren't doing any of this. They had pretty much the same personnel uh, on offense and they weren't doing any of this and they had the worst offense in the entire league. So I think that that uh, is a good point to end on. All right, Benny Souls, what, what do you have to plug this week? What are the 30 things you're working on? Oh, man. Um, I think I'm right about the Giants for Wednesday. Okay. Maybe not. I don't remember. Um, we'll figure we'll it out. the play sheet on Wednesday. SPU, so probably something Kansas City Bills. I haven't officially decided yet, but it feels like you got to talk about that game, right? Uh, like I said, Cardinals on Friday. Uh, be on the Bring NFL show on this feed. Be on the Philly special by week, but we're 6-0. and So we kind of just, you know, just me and you just kind of talk about being 6-0, and generally being <laughs> undefeated, not losing a game, win forever, things of that nature. Okay, sounds good. There you go. Uh, I'll be back on Thursday with the scramble. Danny Kelly, the great Danny Kelly, will be joining me. If you have a mailbag question, email it to the scramble mailbag at gmail.com. Love hearing from you guys there. Uh, or you can tweet at me if you want to get a question answered on the show. Tuesday on this feed, you'll get the power rankers. And on Wednesday, don't forget Nora Princiati on the island. All right. Thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for producing additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. We'll talk to you soon.